Lord, we pause to take a deep breath, thanking you for the gift of breath, for the gift of life, for the gift of friends and family, for the gift of your presence in our lives. Indeed, you were here before we were. You will be here after we're gone. You are here now. Help us to be in the here and now, in this one moment that you have given us to live, to experience your beauty and your joy, to experience your correction and your encouragement, to experience your healing and your comfort, to experience you as we study your word, as we feel your presence, as we understand and know your love through the love and hugs of those who are gathered around us today. May all of these things bless and strengthen us, not for just our own sakes, but for the sake of our sharing these with the world that so badly needs to know about you. We pray it in Jesus. Amen. Um, many people are asking, so my, my answer uh, generally is, let's wait until I can talk to everybody and give you the same answer. And the question is, how are things going in Syria and Turkey? Uh, so getting lots of questions about that. You know the details of the earthquake, of course. The last statistic I saw on this morning's news an hour or so ago was 11,000 now confirmed dead, expected to go much higher. And of course, that's just the number of the dead. There's many, many more thousands of their family and their friends that have to deal with their loss and, of course, all the destruction and, and what's going on. Um, most of my attention has been focused on northern Syria uh, because that's where I've been, that's where I have friends, where we have friends, actually. You've met some of those folks. The, uh, the epicenter of the quake was about 50 or 60 miles away from Aleppo, uh, what was the largest city in uh, Syria. I, I was in Aleppo last October. You've heard about that. There was also damage in Latakia, which is over on the coast. We were in Latakia last October. Also in Homs, which is below Aleppo, have been in Homs many times before. Um, to, to date, we have not heard of any of our church friends, the church family that we know, uh, being killed or injured. Well, actually, some minor injuries. Um, the church in Aleppo, the church building in Aleppo, which is the new church building that they built during the war after the first building was blown up early in the war. That building now uh, has been heavily damaged. Um, it's still standing, but we don't know what the nature of the damage is. Um, and so, of course, that's, that's just a building, so let's not worry too much about that. Uh, the church in Aleppo, um, Aleppo's probably had a lot more damage than uh, Latakia, and the church has opened the doors of the school that they run, opened the doors of the church. They have lots of hundreds of people now living in the school, living in the church because they have no place to live. Their buildings, their homes are destroyed and gone. So um, the Outreach Foundation, the, the mission group that I'm part of, uh, immediately sent five or $10,000 uh, so that they knew they had some support coming in and uh, lots more is beginning to pour in. You will see in your email later today in Wednesday's news and notes from the Village Church that each one of you I know study carefully as soon as you get it. 
um, that we are having a special offering now. We're receiving that offering uh, for uh, to go to Syria and Turkey, uh, earthquake relief. Um, we also are bundling with that um, our friends in Ukraine. Uh, we just had uh, Ivan Rusin here a couple of weeks ago. Last week after, uh, well, Ivan preached on the 29th and then spoke at a conference that we attended. Uh, so we had more time to sit quietly, privately with him to learn all that's going on. And um, in Ukraine, they are expecting, you might have heard about it, uh, there's a major military buildup now starting on the Russian side. And so they're expecting a major offensive to come um, once things warm up. Uh, and so they're preparing for that. And so the need in Ukraine is still tremendous for the humanitarian kind of aid that we're able to provide. Um, and that, what that means, um, sometimes we gloss over that, uh, what that means for people is water, food, medicine, clothing, shelter, fuel, um, a place to, uh, you know, place to stay. Uh, and, and also part of that is huge emotional support. Uh, if you have ever been through a, a tragedy, something like this, you understand how important it is for other people to surround you with love and encouragement. And of course, that's the church is really good at that. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, government agencies don't necessarily take that as their first opportunity. So anything that we can give, uh, generally what, what is done through Outreach Foundation is that funds go directly from our office uh, to the synod that looks after the whole area or to individual churches where we have been, the pastors we know, uh, and they, they start using the funds to take care of folks. Um, I know a lot of folks will collect up clothing or stuff to send over, and sometimes that's helpful as well, but that takes an awful lot of money and time to get physical equipment there. And uh, most of these places, uh, especially in Turkey, uh, somewhat in Syria, but th there's stuff to buy. Uh, and so it's better just to send the money and buy it there. You actually support the economy there. Uh, and it's a much more efficient way uh, of, of helping take care of folks. Uh, and so um, that's, that's just one of the little uh, details about humanitarian aid that a lot of people don't think about. You know, we see somebody that that's lost everything, and we want to, you know, empty our closets and give it to them. And and if you're here, maybe that makes sense. But to ship it across the world is a different matter. So um, if you want to participate in that offering, um, uh, feel free to designate either for Ukraine or for the earthquake relief. Uh, most of ours probably will go into Syria um, rather than to Turkey, and that is uh, for the simple reason that we have relationships with all of those churches in Syria. There are very few churches in Turkey, actually. There's very little. There is Christian work and a Christian community, but it's much smaller in Turkey than in Syria because Syria has always been very tolerant of and even including uh, the, the Christian community, where Turkey has not. Um, and of course, from the governmental side, uh, the United States, uh, as, as an official government relationship, has a better relationship with Turkey than with Syria. So government aid is going to be going into Turkey mostly, not so much into Syria. So this is kind of our way of maybe balancing that out in a way. So rest assured um, that, that close to 100% of what you give does go directly to the field, and it goes quickly. Um, a lot of government stuff uh, and other aid agencies and things takes a while to get there, uh, but we've already been sending funds, so uh, we'll get there quickly. Um, if you want to um, 
I don't know if we, I think we put the link in the website. Uh, the Outreach Foundation has on its website and through its official channels uh, much more information, photographs. Um, we've had uh, voice uh, communication with the pastor of the church in Aleppo, Ibrahim Nasser, great guy, uh, and you can hear him directly. If you can't find that, let me know, uh, and, and I'll happily send you the links to all of that. Or just uh, type into your, your Google search, The Outreach Foundation, just all one word, The Outreach Foundation. Go onto our website, and there's the links there uh, to get all the detailed information. So any questions about any of that before we dive into Genesis? Okay, cool. All right, Genesis. We're still in Genesis. We're going to be saying that a long time. There's a lot of text in Genesis, isn't there? Uh, some of it's a little bit repetitive. It's repetitive because that helps us to remember when we are sharing stories orally. Uh, written version, not so much, but that's what we have, so that's fine. We are studying uh, now the, the story of, of Jacob primarily. Uh, we've looked a little bit at Isaac. Uh, remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then eventually we'll get to Joseph. But the story we have today uh, is, again, one of those, those pivotal stories sort of in the history of the family of Abraham. And that's really what the story of the Old Testament focuses on, the story of the family of Abraham and everything that results from that. So I want to um, begin to, re we'll read just a few verses and start to take it apart and then keep on going that way through several sections. So Genesis 27 verses 1 to 4 is where we'll start. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, See, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Then prepare for me savory food such as I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may bless you before I die. Okay, let's stop there. It is always helpful, from my perspective at least, to dwell with words like these just a few moments and put ourselves as much as we can into the situation that we have here. Isaac and Esau, father and eldest son. Father is very old, can't see anymore, knows that his time on earth is short. Doesn't know exactly, of course, when he's going to die, but he senses that it's coming. Can you identify with that situation, right? Not necessarily being old, though some of us are maybe older than the average person in the United States or the world. Okay, that's all right, right? Maybe some of us have had loss of vision or loss of hearing or loss of mental acuity or all of the above. Who knows? <laughs> right? Now we're falling apart. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. From the moment we pop out of mom, we start to fall apart in a way, don't we? That's just the, the nature of life itself. So Isaac is old, and he knows that a big transition is coming. Some of you maybe are anticipating that transition in life, maybe a big transition in your life or your family. Some of you are going through 
that kind of a transition right now as I speak. Others of you have that transition coming maybe decades from now. Some of us in this room maybe have something like that getting ready to happen and we just don't know it yet. So Isaac, of course, understands this is coming and now he is ready to pronounce his blessing upon his son, his eldest son. Let's stop. So let, let's, let's just get in touch kind of with the pathos of that moment, right? Of course, this happens in the world now um, a few million times a day, right? Several million people will die today and there will be a big transition in the family. When it happens to us is when it becomes the most important. And so let's think about this as happening in our family, right? Isaac is part of our family. This is something that happened a long time ago with a family that, that we only know through these stories, but it's part of our family. So we can, we can put ourselves in some sense emotionally into it as well as intellectually into the story. Isaac's ready to pronounce his blessing. Come to me, Esau, so that I may bless you. Let's talk about that word blessing. What is a blessing? Let's describe that. Let's get a full sense of what it's about. And let's get your answers to this question. So the runners are ready to go. <laughs> what is a blessing? Who would like to take a stab at that? A gift, okay? A gift. That's a good way to say it. It's a gift. It comes from somewhere else, right? And, and it is something that, that comes from outside of what you have done, right? Uh, we often see in advertisements that if you purchase such and such, you'll get a free gift. Um, free gift is one of the combinations of English words that drives me absolutely crazy. It's not a gift if it's not free. Why do you have to say free gift? And oh, by the way, you only get the free gift if you buy something. No wonder people don't trust what they read and see anymore when you see absolutely inane, absurd, illogical, wrong thinking such as that. <laughs> oh, wait, but I digress. A blessing <laughs> is a gift, okay? What else? Let's talk more about blessing. There's a lot to talk about with blessing. What else is blessing? Blessing is an encouragement, okay? Good, good, an encouragement. I, I, I don't know when I started this, decades ago now, but it's really kind of fun because I'm, I'm ordained and very special uh, and incredibly powerful. Uh, I, I, love to, I love to bless people all the time, you know, I, I, especially the checkout person at the grocery store. You know, when they're finished, they say, thank you. I say, bless you. And they're startled, you know, because that word hits them. Uh, you could do that too. <laughs> You're also ordained by God to, to bless other people. Yeah, it is an encouragement. What else is a blessing? Favor and protection. Favor and protection. Yes, favor and protection. When you're especially from God, right? God blesses us with his favor, with his presence, with his attention, with his protection, with his comfort, with his strength, with his joy. And we share that same thing. We actually accomplish that same kind of thing when we are involved in blessing others, we give that to them, right? It's great to say, God blesses you, and then not do anything about it, right? God blesses us so that we can bless others. What we were just talking about, sending a few bucks to Syria so they can give them some water and a blanket, that is a blessing, okay? What else is a blessing? Yes? 
abundance. Abundance is good. A blessing is knowing that you have enough of what you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else is a blessing? Right here. I had a little question when sure. I was reading that. It seemed to me in the moment that the word blessing had a, a larger uh, meaning in terms of the inheritance, which we read about in the earlier part of the chapter. Yep. It does not say that. However, the importance of it that develops later on in this passage makes me wonder if that was not in fact what he was referring to specifically. That's exactly what Isaac is referring to. We think of we, all of the things that we have said so far about blessing are true. In this context, we have to take ourselves back into that culture, that mindset, that way of thinking. Isaac is preparing to pronounce blessing upon Esau as a way of transferring the property, the power, the position, the responsibility for the whole family onto Esau. That's what the blessing is. When we think about blessing, you know, I, I hand out blessings all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the poor checkout person at the grocery store, who knows if they actually feel blessed or if anything happens. I'm certainly not handing them any money, right? I'm not changing their status in life. When Isaac pronounces a blessing, when he says, I bless you, does anything actually happen? In our way of thinking, all Isaac is going to do is say some words, but in that culture, those words that Isaac says actually have real, physical, literal power and impact and effect. Okay? That's a, a different way of thinking about our words. This takes us into a conversation about our words, actually. Where in Scripture have we already seen that when a word is spoken, it does something? The story of creation. God said, let there be and there was. You know, I could say right now, everybody stand up. And exactly that would happen. <laughs> it's going to take me all day to recover. <laughs> right? Can you say something and make it happen? Well, if, some, if somebody obeys, okay, that's a word that makes something happen, but only if the other chooses to make that happen, right? I could, I could say to this podium, rise, right? Doesn't happen. The concept of a spoken word in the Old Testament, in that culture for the people of God, is that a word actually means something. Our words, we say, are meaningless. You can say whatever you want. You can say that you're getting a free gift. And, and because we use words so carelessly, so frivolously, so incorrectly, we know that words don't mean anything. But in that culture, you better be careful what you say because it's going to do something. If you bless someone, it actually has an impact. It actually has power. If you curse someone, it has impact and power. So be careful what you say. So Isaac is ready now to pronounce his blessing, the blessing that only he can give as the head of the family, 
as the Father, the one who controls it all. And he can give that thing only once. And it's going to happen with Esau. So let's understand how important this is. This is, uh, we might connect this to today if we were to say there's going to be a transfer of, of the power, uh, a transfer of the property, the blessing to the firstborn son. We would accomplish it with stacks and stacks of paper written by 800 lawyers and then challenged by 800 other lawyers. That's how we'd do that, right? Much simpler situation there. Yes, comment. Okay, um, sorry. But I thought he gave up his inheritance for the stew, the lentils that were made. Sure, So sure. as a result, what would have happened had he given that up and then gotten the blessing? I mean, there would have been a whole controversy there. Yeah, very good question. Very good question. So how can you give a blessing? Didn't the father know that he had given up his inheritance? Well, now there's an interesting question, isn't there? And we cannot answer it with a definitive I mean, this answer. It's very confusing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a very good question. You're right. Okay, so uh, Esau has sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of stew long, long time ago now. Do you think that Esau went to, to Isaac right away and said, oh, I just sold my birthright? Probably not. Maybe Jacob went and said, I sold my birthright. And what would Isaac maybe have, saying, have said? You can't do that, right? Who knows? We know that that story happened, right? Maybe only Esau and Jacob knew about it. Maybe only Jacob and Rebekah and Esau knew about it. We, we don't know. We can play out lots of scenarios in our minds. All we know is that is from this story is that what Isaac thinks and Isaac is still the dad. He still has the blessing. It was not Esau's to sell in some sense, okay? Isaac is in control of it. At least he thinks he is. <laughs> and, and, and he is. It's, we realize it's going to be stolen from him as well. But Isaac is in control of it. So let's keep going with the story. Let's hold that comment out there because this is important. So let's understand that there's going to be a transition within the family. That is a very, very important moment in the history of the family, right? Think about those, all those, those Hollywood movies where, the, where someone, you know, the patriarch has died and all the children gather in this beautiful book-lined office of the lawyer to hear the reading of the will because this is a pivotal moment in the history of the family. That's what we're looking forward to, okay? And this is a real thing. This is not just a dad saying some nice words to his boy. This is an actual transaction. So, moving to verse 5 then. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food to eat, that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Go to the flock and get me two choice kids so that I may prepare from them savory food for your father such as he likes. And you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to his mother, Rebekah, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a man of smooth skin. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and to bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. 
Only obey my word and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she handed the savory food and the bread that she had prepared to her son Jacob. Let's stop there for a minute. The scene shifts from dad and the eldest son to mom and the younger son. What's going on in this? What's happening? As we did with Isaac and, and Esau, let's talk about the humanity. What's happening in the emotions, the, the feelings, the situation here? Deceit. Deceit. Deception. Yes. Yes. And we have already heard. We've already heard, right? Before Esau and Jacob are born, we've heard this prediction, this telling of what's going to happen from the Spirit of God into Rebekah, that the younger is going to replace the older, right? And now, now Rebekah is doing what? She's making sure it's going to happen, right? Right? Mom gets involved. Th okay, think about this. Some of you are mothers here, right? God has told you something that's going to happen a long time down the road with one of your kids. What are you going to do with that? Worry about it? Cherish it? Right? I think of Mary. Mary held these things in her heart, right? About Jesus. Yeah. You're the mother. God says this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you think God told me to make this happen. Right? Maybe Rebecca's been worrying all these years about, okay, well, God told me this is what's supposed to be, but that's not the way it's going to happen unless I do something about it. That could be going on. Yeah, yeah, where's the, where's the trust? If God told you it's going to happen, then do you just wait for it to happen? Right? We've already seen, we've already seen plenty of situations with Abraham. God tells you you're going to be okay, but then Abraham takes the situation into his own hands. You know, let's protect Sarah, whatever, all those kinds of things. That's a big theological question for all of us at all times, actually. Right? We can read the scriptures and say, God promises to bless you, to protect you, to nourish you, to strengthen you. So what do you do with that? Do you sit there in your chair and say, okay, I'm waiting? Or do you get up and get a job and invest in good investments that will return lots and build your house and work and strive and make it happen? Which do you do? Okay, so she tells Jacob that the curse would be on her. Mm -hmm. So if she's remembering what was told to her, or promised to her, or whatever, uh -huh. she is actually being faithful. Because if Jacob says, I'm going to be cursed, because uh -huh. it's supposed to be Esau. But she says, let the curse fall on me. Go and do this. Okay. Yeah. There's an interesting twist, yeah. right? The promise is the younger is going to replace the older, and the blessing, the original promise to Abraham of the creation of the family is going to go through Jacob. So Jacob can't end up being cursed. Rebecca's willing to take that curse for the sake of her son. Okay. And, and also Esau was married to two women that were not part of the flock. Yes, Esau's married to two that are not part of the flock. There's a problem there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob doesn't seem to be worried about mom getting 
you know, and he, he doesn't seem to be worried about being caught for the right reason either. He's just worried that he's going to get caught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he seems to be just in it for Jacob and not worried about anybody else. Yep, yep. That's pretty much the character of Jacob. <laughs> yeah. There are all sorts of possibilities here that we need to entertain in our minds and hold them lightly a little bit because we can't know for sure. You know, we don't have Jacob's reflection. No, no, I was doing this for all the right reasons, right? Where have we heard that? Uh, so Jacob doesn't seem to care about the morality or ethics of the situation. And in a sense, Rebecca's willing to throw all of that out the window as long as her boy gets what he wants or as long as he gets what God said he should have. To what extent do we go to make what we think is God's plan happen? There's another big question for us. How many times have people done the wrong thing trying to accomplish the right thing? Do you know about that issue in life? Does the end justify the means? This is out and out deception, deceit, right? You'd love to be a lawyer and take it to court and say, you stole this, right? Notwithstanding the deal that the two young boys made. A lawyer today would say they were not of age. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? All of these things are playing around here, and the biggest question that's asked is this question. We know, of course, that the way the story is going to go is that Jacob is going to get the blessing, and it is through Jacob's line that the storyline continues of the family of Abraham. But here's a situation where that story continues only because of the deceit, the trickery, the sin of humanity. Does God make that sin happen? Was Rebecca doing the right thing to scheme in order to make God's promise happen? Was she doing the wrong thing? She ended doing the wrong thing. Jacob did the wrong thing. From a simple moral ethical viewpoint, can God bless that? Can God do something with that? Do you know of any situation in life, maybe your life or someone else's life, or the life of a nation, where lots of wrong things are done, but there ended up being blessing coming out of them? Can you think of that? History's full of that, right? History's full of that. The wars, the, all the different terrible things that go on that are still very, very terrible that we would hope would never go on, still from out of those things, other good things and blessings can happen. So all of that is at stake here in this one little simple story of this one little family. In some sense, I think the reason the Bible continues to be uh, read and paid attention to is because in the stories it tells of particular people, individual families, we have the story of the human family. The whole issue of the human family laid out there before us. Okay, so how many times are we tempted to do something that we know is wrong, but we're doing it so that something bigger and better might happen? Has that ever happened to you? Of course it does. Of course it does. I'm not going to ask you to give me examples of when you have done something deceitful and dastardly in order to try to help a situation. Right? Right? Oh, you're all sitting there saying, I'm going to look at my Bible now. And 
<laughs> right? Yes, okay. Got a comment here? We put Jacob in a very precarious position, mainly because he has been obedient to his mother. Mm -hmm. And he's supposed to be obedient to his mother. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, his mother was the one that was so evil in planning all of this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no matter what she thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's another horrible, what's the word I want to use? Just a horrible situation between a rock and a hard place, right? Jacob's supposed to obey his mother. Do you obey someone when they're leading you to do something that's wrong? Very good question. Even if it is your mother, right? Maybe Rebecca thought she was obeying God. Was she? Was she not? That, that, this is, these stories highlight the hard places where we are. We simply are in those places. And, and through all of it, though, God's plan is continuing but we are in those hard places. Yeah. There are lots of ways we could describe the motivation and the, the outcomes of what goes on in this. And we, we, we can't finally judge any of that and say this is what was in Rebecca's heart or in Jacob's heart. Um, again, as you take it apart, you could easily argue from several different perspectives. Rebecca was dead wrong. She put her son in an untenable position, didn't she? Right? Jacob was dead wrong. He did something wrong even though his mother told him to do it. Really, is your mother your God? Where do you go with that? Let's keep reading the story. So, verse 18. Jacob went in to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Blatant lie. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went up to his father Isaac, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him, and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Okay, the dastardly deed is done. <laughs> we can laugh about it now. If you're the one that's had your birthright stolen, you're not laughing about it, are you? 
would love to have a buck for every time someone's come into my office to talk about the family inheritance not going the way they thought it should, or the family fighting about everything, right? That's part of what's going on here. We, we are in this story. This is a human story. God is in it. That's an important point. God is in it, and it's a human story. So Isaac blesses Jacob. Let's talk about the blessing itself, the words of the blessing. They're beautiful words, actually, aren't they? Um, I especially love, you know, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. What's that about? What kind of blessing is that? Posterity, yeah. Your po- prosperity, prosperity. Yes, the, all the good stuff of the earth, of the fatness of the earth, right? All the good stuff that everybody wants. A chicken in every pot and a Chevy in every garage. And, you know, there we are. Do you know where that comes from? Actually, it wasn't a Chevy. It was a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. I think that was the promise that Herbert Hoover made during his election campaigns in the middle of the Depression as a way of saying to people, we're all going to have what we need to have, right? Physical prosperity, the physical blessings of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Who doesn't want plenty of grain and wine? That's what we all want, right? What? You don't drink wine. Okay. Yeah, but the grain can be turned into scotch. Make that a margarita. Okay, okay. So, so we, we should adjust this for the geography and the culture. So we want to say plenty of agave plants and lime trees. Okay, there we go. There we, only at the village church in Rancho Santa Fe would this turn into a conversation about alcohol. I, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And then what's the other part of the blessing? Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and your mother's sons bow down to you. Power, relationships. The world of relationships. So this, in a sense, is a complete blessing. Some of you may have written your wills, created your family trusts, and you have said, so-and-so is going to get X, Y, Z, A, B, C. So-and-so is going to get blah, blah, blah. There's a long, I've seen some really long lists of all the things that we leave to each other or not, as the case may be, Right? Here's the list as far as Isaac is concerned. May you have everything (laughs) that the earth can give you and everything that you can experience in human relationships and be at the top of the heap. I think that's the way I'm going to write my last will and testament. I don't expect to have much else to give, so there there we go. Kids, here it is. (laughs) Here it is. And then look at that last line. Remember that we've said that a a spoken blessing actually does something? The same is true in the reverse manner. A spoken curse actually does something. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So anybody who stands up against Jacob, Isaac says, is going to be cursed. Now, presuming that you've read the rest of the story, 
Who is going to stand up against Jacob? His brother. His brother. This is pregnant with all kinds of things that are going to happen, that are going to go on. So Jacob, with Rebekah's backing, claims what was foretold he would have before his birth, but he claims what, according to society, according to the religious convictions of the day, is not his to have. It's not his to have. Continuing the story, verses 30 to 40. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau came in from his hunting. He also prepared savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father sit up and eat of his son's game so that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him. Yes, and blessed he shall be. When Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he's taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and look, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have already made him your Lord, and I have given him all his brothers as servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, father? Bless me, me also, father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then his father Isaac answered him, See, away from the fatness of the earth shall your home be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Again, let's enter into the pathos, the tragedy of this moment. Father and elder son now realize everything has been turned on its head and it shatters them. It breaks them. But they can do nothing about it because the blessing has already been given. In today's world, we would say, show me the documents, show me the paperwork, <laughs> and they will control. That's not what this, this is done. It's a done deal. It's an airtight thing. And they're shattered by it. They're shattered by it. That's the way life goes sometimes, doesn't it? Have you ever been shattered and destroyed by life? Most of you are old enough to be able to say yes to that in some way, shape, or form. If you, haven't yes, if you can't yet say yes, then God bless you. <laughs> right? Right? So what's going to happen? What's going to happen now? There is a blessing, right? Esau's future is foretold. You're not going to have the fatness of the earth. You're not going to have the blessing of being number one in control, in charge. Incredible emotional trauma. And yet there's one little statement from, from Isaac that gives us a little bit of hope, perhaps. That last verse, 40. When you break loose, you shall break his yoke from your neck. It seems like everything is pretty much over for Esau, but Esau is going to continue to live just as Ishmael continued to live. 
And there's a little bit of hope for Esau in this, that he might get out from under his brother. Remember, the blessing from Isaac given to Jacob was, you shall be Lord over your brothers. That's not going to sit very well with Esau. And so maybe there's hope in this. The Bible always, 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 when it talks about hopeless situations, the Bible goes into a conversation about the thread of hope that still is there. And ultimately, of course, that story is all subsumed into the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let's finish the rest of this chapter, though. There's a little bit more. Verse 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of her elder son Esau were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Your brother Esau is consoling himself by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger against you turns away and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? There's a good plot for a story, isn't there? Why should I lose both of you in one day? What is the result of this trickery and deceit? What happens in the family of Isaac and Rebekah and Esau and Jacob? The family's ripped apart, isn't it? The family's destroyed. The family's destroyed. Esau never really forgets what his brother has done to him. And Jacob never really ends up being anything much more than kind of a, a fugitive, a wanderer, always looking over his shoulder. And later, as the story of Jacob unfolds, we'll be looking at that in the next few weeks, Jacob's whole life is a life full of bucking the system and going against everything and struggling with life as a result of that. That's the way Jacob's life was. And yet, the promise lived through Jacob. How many times do we know in our history, in our family, or in others, how life just seems to be one big problem after another, and it's always that way. Can you still be blessed? Is God still at work? Yes. Yes. This one little story encompasses and expresses the nature of our lives, the nature of human life. And I would suggest to you, it, it unfolds for us that rock and that hard place in which we live, that compromised, untenable, unworkable situation in which we live and for which we need a savior because we can't get out of it. How could, how could Isaac, how could this whole family get out of it? How could they escape the situation? Should they go back and say, no, really, really, we're not gonna do what God said was going to happen? Someone yesterday brought up the fact that, you know, maybe it was a good thing that Jacob got control of the family because Esau was too, too dense you know, he was so simple that he would sell his birthright for a pot of stew, right? Maybe, maybe Isaac 
wasn't smart enough to give the blessing to the right kid. That's a whole other line of argument. Some of us have multiple children, and we know that some of our children are more capable of taking over the family fortune than others. Am I wrong in that? <laughs> right? And today, with the laws of primogenitor being what they are not, we can choose who's going to get everything. Still creates problems. There's no way to make everybody happy, is there? There is no way to make everybody happy. And yet, God's plan continues. And it was God's plan that we would stop talking right about now. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of knowing about the life of this family. Thank you for working in them, through them, and in spite of them to accomplish your will. May you do the same with us. Amen. God bless you, my children.